Most of you know how much I love and admire as one of my heroes in the faith, Dr. Billy Graham, who went to be with the Lord several years back. And one of my favorite stories of Billy Graham that is told is that Billy Graham, years and years ago, as he was starting out, once uh, told about a time when he was in a small town that he asked a little boy how to get to the local post office. And after getting directions, uh, Mr. Graham invited him to come, the little boy to come to the crusade uh, that evening. And Dr. Graham said to the little boy, he said, you can hear me telling everybody uh, on how to get to heaven. And the boy's response said, well, I don't think I'll be there. You don't even know how to get your way to the post office. So, uh, but you know, it always reminds me because that is what our, one of our commissions uh, as believers is to show the way to Christ, to point people to Christ. And this morning, as we continue, we're coming towards the latter end of the book of Acts, and we're spending a lot of time with Paul because Paul is the main figure here uh, in what is happening at this stage in the book of Acts. And we are looking and learning as we see Paul under great duress. Uh, He has uh, been arrested. Uh, You remember back in, uh, I think it was maybe chapter 23, the Apostle Paul had come back from touring around uh, up north and other churches that have been started and planted. He'd come back now to Jerusalem, bringing back a very generous offering for the churches in Jerusalem, who many of the believers in Jerusalem were experiencing hardship because as they received Christ and became Christians, it alienated them from their other Jewish brethren, and many times that affected their income and businesses. And so the church in Jerusalem was uh, suffering great hardship, and so he came back to Jerusalem to worship for one of the feasts and to bring an offering back, and consequently was arrested when he came back to Jerusalem. There was a group already that had been prepared as uh, enemies of, of what Paul was doing. He was causing uh, great trouble among uh, other Jews by telling them about Jesus as the Messiah that was fulfilled by the Old Testament scriptures, and they sought to not just have him arrested, but have him killed. And thankfully, that there was a uh, Roman guard who kind of protected him from this mob and uh, took him in, and eventually Paul was uh, put under kind of an arrest, and he was taken first. uh, He was before this Roman governor of Judea uh, called, his name was Felix, and Felix had the same position. If you remember the name Pontius Pilate, he was the Roman governor of Caesarea or Judea. Uh, Caesarea was the headquarters, and so that was about 25 years prior. So now this uh, leader, this Roman governor by the name of Felix, uh, seeks to hear his case. And Because remember, these Roman governors had one main interest, uh, and that was to make sure that Rome was happy with them. They were politicians to the core. They didn't do anything without making sure that it was politically expedient And they also got a little money in the process. And so Paul was before this man named Felix, and that didn't go anywhere. And Felix just kind of put him back in jail for a couple of years and pushed it back. And then he was replaced by a man named Festus, Governor Festus. And so Festus comes on the scene, and he uh, is being challenged to deal with this Paul because if he lets him out, he's immediately going to be killed, and there's a lot of controversy And Paul says, and I'm kind of paraphrasing a lot here to bring a little context here, Paul essentially says, look, 
I want to go to Rome. I want to appeal my case to Caesar. And Paul could do that because Paul was born in an area called Tarsus, and that was a Roman territory uh, where he was born. And by virtue of being born in this Roman territory, he was a Roman citizen, and he had the rights and privileges that were different than many of his Jewish brethren that were born in Jerusalem. And he had the legal privilege of being able to uh, be a Roman citizen and afforded all the privileges that a Roman citizen could have. And one of the things of a Roman judicial system is they were entitled to have a a trial and and they were also to face their accusers and and to have it, uh, you know, a little bit more of a ceremony than just to be grabbed by a mob and taken out and killed. So he appealed to do that. And when uh, this uh, Roman governor Festus heard this, he essentially said, well, there's nothing I can do. He's appealed to Rome. It's out of my hands. But Festus kind of wanted to make sure he had one more little play up his sleeve, and right before he sent Paul to Rome, remember, these guys are politicians, and he didn't want this going to Rome because they may think, you know, we sent this, this guy named Festus down there to take care of things in Palestine and that region, and already he can't control his own territory. He's already sending cases up to us to deal with it. So maybe just out of his own, you know, covering his back a little bit, uh, he calls for uh, King Agrippa. Now, King Agrippa was uh, among the Herodians. You remember his, I think it was his great-grandfather that we find in Matthew 2 was killing all the babies because of the threat of this king being born. That was his great-grandfather. Uh, his, uh, I think it was his uh, father, or uh, that was, yeah, that was his great-grandfather. And then he uh, also was, uh, the, uh, his, uh, his own father was one who had killed uh, the apostle James, and so uh, here he was this king, and he really was, he was a king in name only, really. Uh, they kind of did it to appease uh, the Jews, to, to look to him as kind of a, they, you know, the Romans were really good at not wanting to disrupt the system as long as the taxes and the money kept flowing up to Rome. They'd let you worship a chair if that's what you were into, as long as the money and the taxes kept moving up to their way. That's, and they wanted to make sure that peace kept because they didn't want to have to send troops that they needed other places down to Palestine to take control of things, all right? So he calls for this king Agrippa really to come and hear the case of Paul. This is a big deal because Paul is very controversial. Their tendency would have been to just hand him back over to these uh, Jewish, this Jewish mob, and they already, you know, it says that we looked at in the last few weeks, they were already seeking to kill him. And so that would have been just kind of the easy thing to do, but at the same time, they were bound by Roman law to do it in an expeditious way. And so that kind of brings us up to date of where we're at. And uh, for our purposes, as we look at uh, chapter 26 this morning, one of the things that we're struck with that Paul is such a, a tremendous source of instruction for us because Throughout Paul's imprisonment, all through really his own life, through all the sufferings and rejections and all those things, is that Paul always sought and seized opportunity to bear witness for Jesus, to bear witness for Christ. And it wasn't always in pleasant circumstances. It wasn't always in in situations that were favorable to him. But Paul's first and primary purpose and goal was to honor Christ and to to give witness to the gospel, to give witness to, the, to Jesus who had changed his life 
And being in jail, being in prison, being in chains was no different. And so when we come to chapter 26, it almost sounds like we're preaching a similar sermon, but, but Paul is still in chains. He's still, you know, in, incarcerated, and he's being brought before these various individuals to bear witness for Christ. Now, what's interesting is that if you, and I don't, don't have this on the screen, but God back in, the Holy Spirit uh, already said back in Acts chapter 9 and also in chapter 23 prophesied, gave word that Paul would stand before kings and magistrates, magistrates and leaders and bear witness for him. You remember we looked at those things? And, and, that, and I think it's in chapter 23 that the Holy Spirit says, and you will bear witness to my name in Rome. So Paul already knew ultimately where his destination was. Sometimes God will give you direction but sometimes he doesn't give you the details of how that direction is going to work out. Have you found that to be true, or is that just me? Wouldn't it be nice if God, you know, on the GPS or on your phone now, uh, I started to say, you know, if you have an old Rand McNally map, I actually have one because every once in a while I need to look at that thing. And you look at and and it gives you directions of just what is next. And you know what drives me crazy is when you're supposed to make a right turn and they tell you at the last minute, that, don't you love that? You're like, can you tell me? Like before I'm all right. Sorry, I digress. But but sometimes you hit you hit a little button and it gives you the big picture because you say, oh, I see where that's that's going to take me through here, and I've got to go through this area or whatever, and you might want to avoid or whatever. God doesn't do that. Can you believe that? That doesn't seem so so sad. He doesn't give you all the directions. No, he told Paul, this is what's going to happen. But he didn't explain how God was going to use the enemies of Christ, the enemies of Paul, and how God was going to work at Romans 8.28 that Paul would pin to the church at Rome. Paul was going to live it out again. God works all things together for good, help me, to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. God's going to work all that out. And sometimes that may be going through some fire and testing and trials. And Paul is uh, such an example of that. This, uh, I don't have this on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, just look back at chapter 25 for a minute to kind of set the scene here. And so we have this Festus, uh, and he calls King Agrippa uh, in its, uh, chapter 25, verse 24. Again, it's not on the screen. But, uh, but he says in verse 25, if you look in your Bibles, he, he tells this King Agrippa, who again doesn't really have any power, but he's really just kind of covering his tracks because he knows he's got to send him to Rome, and he really would rather make it look like that King Agrippa was kind of in on sending him to Rome because Festus, again, is a politician, and he didn't want anything coming back at him. And he says clearly in verse 25, I found nothing in this guy's life that he deserves death. Uh, And so he tells him in verse 26, I have nothing definite to write to my Lord. That's Caesar. I have nothing really to put on this guy, so I brought him before you that maybe you could examine him. And he says uh, at the end of verse 26, maybe you can help me have something to write as I kind of send these charges because there's nothing, there's nothing that he's guilty of. As Paul stands before another person again in place of leadership and prominence this morning, I want us to see how we see a teachable moment from the Apostle Paul in chapter 26 
a teachable moment to help us be instructed and to be reminded and to be encouraged to learn how we can be faithful witnesses for Christ irregardless of circumstances. And this morning, the title of the message is How to Be a Faithful Witness for Jesus. How do we be... Because we know as believers, we have been commissioned, we have been called. That's the task of the Great Commission, Matthew 28. But how do we... What are some things that we can see here from Paul's own life, his own testimony that will help us to be faithful in our standing, and not just standing for Christ, but being able to bear witness by our language and words for Jesus. Uh, when we talk about evangelism, there's sometimes people, you may have grew, grew up in an environment where sometimes you were just guilted by it, and that's never really a good motivator. J.I. Packer, one of my favorite authors in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, writes this, and I'll read it. He said, there's there's only two motives that should spur us to constantly evangelize. Two motives. He said the first is the lo- love to God and concern for His glory. That's the first motive. And the second is love for mankind and concern for their welfare. That sounds something like I heard Jesus say when He was asked what are the greatest commandments. He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. The second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the greatest way we can love our neighbor and to be motivated out of concern for our neighbor around us is to make sure that we are motivated to tell them the greatest news that mankind has ever known or heard, and that's that Jesus Christ has come to rescue us from our sin. And if we don't tell them that, then we have to wonder, do I really love my neighbor? Now, if you're all going to get quiet and sleepy, you know, I just, I, I preach longer, all right? So smile, nod your head, you know, just enjoy the moment here, and, uh, but let this be an encouragement to you. Uh, some of you know the name Kirk Cameron. I like something I read the other day that he said, he said, if you had the cure to cancer, wouldn't you share it? You have the cure to death, get out there and share it. I like that. David Jeremiah, one of my favorite Bible teachers, said, If we understand what lies ahead for those who do not know Christ, there will be a sense of urgency in our witness. And I agree with that. So this morning as we look at Acts chapter 26, I want to share with you ten words. Now don't panic. It's not a two-hour message. Uh, I told my wife that this morning, and she just glared at me and uh, said, But it's ten. It It goes quick. But you may want to get something in that little tear-off sheet in your bulletin, the backside, it might have, uh, you know, for praise or whatever. You may just want to jot these down as we walk through this. And I find that when I do that, I'm much more engaged with the Scriptures, and it's more meaningful to me, to me. But we want to talk and look and see, Acts 26, how we can be a faithful witness for Jesus. But before we do that, can we just pray for a moment and ask God's blessing on, your, on His Word? Heavenly Father, we thank You for this word that has been given to us, that is without error, that is authoritative, that is your voice. We thank you that we know you through this word that you have revealed yourself through, that, Lord, glorifies you, that exalts Jesus, Lord, that uh, is dependent upon the Spirit of God breathing into our lives and making the word, uh, uh, Lord, applicable to our heart. We thank you that the word already is alive, but uh, we thank you this morning that we can open Lord, the, the, the very precious words, and to learn, Lord, how we 
can be faithful in our witness, how we can be faithful disciples in sharing the good news of Jesus. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart today be acceptable in your sight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, look at these 10 words, and they really are, uh, will, will help us uh, at, with 10 principles on being a faithful witness to Christ. Number one is the word respectful. The word respectful. Uh, when we share Jesus, it just goes kind of without saying, is that we should be respectful. I don't think people are drawn to arrogance and rudeness and harshness, but there's a respectability. Look in Acts 26, verses 2 through 3, and notice Paul here as he stands before King Agrippa. He says, I consider myself fortunate that is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. You hear of respectability, instead of him getting there and being snarky and said, oh no, you, you, you phony puppet, you don't even have any power, you're just a tool of Rome, why am I even wasting time with you? I don't think that would have gone too well. But he showed a respectability. He showed a, a, a consideration, and I think it's the spirit that, Paul, that uh, Peter, uh, the apostle Peter, counsels us in 1 Peter 3, when he reminds us in 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. You notice 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, how he says, do it with gentleness and respect. I think that's a good way to start a gospel conversation that we are respectful. It is important of our content. That's important, right? That's important. But the manner in how we communicate that, the manner in how we say it, I think affects how it will be received. Truthfulness blended with tenderness, compassion, courage, all that together God uses, and certainly Paul is a tremendous example for us to be respectful as we have gospel conversations. Notice, secondly, another principle in the word review. Be willing to review your own life before an unbeliever, showing them that you once too did not believe. Look at verse 9 through 11. We see how Paul did this um, and how he shared about his former way of life. Remember, he was known as Saul, and he was an enemy of the church. Galatians 1 says he tried to destroy the church. He was an arch enemy, and we see a little bit of this as he opened up, and, and uh, Saul was a bad dude, all right? And that's in the Hebrew, Aramaic, dude. Uh, verse 9, he says, I myself, and remember who he's talking to, he said, I myself was convinced, sharing and reviewing his former life, I was, I was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, what did he do? I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often. He's talking about punishing Christians. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme 
and in raging fury, look at the language there, in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This guy planned his vacations on where he could track down Christians. You talk about somebody that was obsessive about, about persecuting followers of Jesus. It was Saul of Tarsus. And here's the kicker, is all this time he believed he was doing the will of God. Application is that when we talk and have gospel conversations with people, I think it helps people understand the gospel when we explain that our perspective, our practice, wasn't always this way, that we too at one time, we did not believe in Christ or we did not have a relationship with Christ. Now remember, your personal story is not the gospel, but our personal story is how the gospel has changed my life and how it has affected my life. And it helps us connect when we relate that we too had false assumptions about Christ and about Christianity, that we too had sins that need to, needed to be forgiven. And that goes back to that transparency and humility in sharing the gospel of Jesus. Something about being humble, even when somebody might be really coming against you, a humility that honors Christ. Because you never know, and there's been countless stories uh, how many times somebody put on a big front of antagonism and hatred only to walk away to the Holy Spirit to convict them in the quietness of their home because they saw something they did not have. They saw the love of Christ in this person, even though they acted in a very evil way. Never underestimate, never underestimate what the Holy Spirit can do with simple testimony of how Jesus changed my life. The third word is reflect. Be respectful. Review your life before Christ and how you didn't always know and believe, but reflect. Reflect what? We must reflect Jesus and not ourselves. You ever been around somebody and they're trying to tell you about something and all they do is talk about themselves, right? We don't want to do that. We want to reflect Jesus. We are just delivery men and women. We are just there to reflect the Son, S-O-N. We are there to reflect Jesus Christ. So when Paul is conveying his testimony on that Damascus road, it wasn't so much of, whoa, look at what happened to me, as much as a story of, look at who Jesus is. Verse 13, he says, at midday, O king, at midday, O king, and I'm just going to read 13 and 15, at midday, again, this is in the middle of him sharing his testimony that is told in several places in, in uh, Acts, but he's telling it again, and he says, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. Verse 15, And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. When we have gospel conversations, we need to make sure that we always pivot the conversation back to Christ. It's easy not to do that. It's easy to get entangled. 
especially when somebody want to ask you, you know, where Cain got his wife kind of questions, you know, and, and uh, you know, is there a rock too, can God make a rock too heavy that he can't lift? And I mean, those, you know, I don't know, the crazy stuff, and the answer is no. But anyway, um, and it's always easy to get on. Remember the woman at the well? Remember when Jesus was putting his finger on her life about her husband's? And what she wanted to do, she wanted to get in theological discussion about, now you Jews worship on this mountain, and us Samaritans worship. You know, she wanted to get off that topic really quick, right? The woman at the well. But Jesus, again, just brought it back to the need. And so as we have these gospel conversations, be reminded we always need to bring the conversation back to reflect Jesus. You might get asked, well, well what about other religions? What about them? Well, Good answer say, I don't know all the other religions, but I do know that Jesus himself, by the way, Jesus was a man raised from the dead, and I'm kind of likely to buy into a guy who's been raised from the dead as his opinion is worth something when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. So you pivot that conversation always back to something Jesus said, something Jesus uh, uh, mentioned in the gospel. You don't have to always know the verse of the scripture. That's helpful, but they, don't, they won't know it. You can say, you know, it says in Hezekiah 8.4. Oh, really? Yeah, it's an interesting book. Now, some of you are in your table of contents trying to find Hezekiah, and God bless you. God bless you. <clears throat> Keep it about Jesus. Let your life be a reflection Never, never forget to tell how he has changed your life. Be respectful. Review what life was like before Jesus, before you met him. Reflect on Christ. Shine. Reflect the love of Christ. Fourthly is the word receive. The message of the gospel is a message that is to be received. Okay, God's uh, gospel has no limitations and is available to everyone, Jew, Gentile, every race, every color, male, female. There's no barriers. There's no distinctions. To everyone who will respond to him, the gospel is to be received. Paul says in verse 16 through 18, as we walk through this, he says, but, and again, he's in the middle of talking about this encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road And he begins verse 16, he says, But rise and stand upon your feet. This is Jesus speaking to him now at that Damascus Road encounter. Jesus said, For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen, uh, to which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, non-Jews, to whom I am sending you. I'm not sending you back to your fellow countrymen, but I'm going to send you to people that are not Jewish, Gentiles. For what reason? Verse 18, to open their eyes, what God's going to do through him, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so the evangelists, all that, that spoke about the gospel in the book of Acts, all spoke and talked about the grace of God. They all talked about God opening spiritual eyes, about transferring unbelievers from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, delivering 
us from the grip of Satan by the power of God. But verse 18, it says that they would, that they may receive, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. It wasn't automatic. It was a gift of God that has to be received. If you're a Christian here today, is that when you came and, and God saved you and you came to faith in Jesus, you had to receive his gift. You had to receive salvation and you had to receive that for yourself. I accept the free gift. I receive it for myself. I apply what you did to my life personally. And so as we speak honestly and courageously, yes, even because it implies forgiveness implies that there's some things that need forgiving. It isn't trying to sell them and, and, and later on we'll, we'll fill in the blanks, but it's being honest and say, look, we have a, a a bad standing before God because of something the Bible identifies as sin, where we have all collectively been violators of His commandments. But while that is true, it's also true that God Himself has done something about this, has provided an opportunity by sending His only begotten Son, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that all who will call on His name all who will call on his name can be forgiven of their sins. Would you like to receive that forgiveness of sins? You see, it's, it's something that has to be received. And Paul himself is essentially saying that before an Agrippa. It's not just automatic, but it's a gift that must be received. The fifth word is, in verse 22 and 23, is the word resurrection. There's, I think uh, I did a little search, and there's over 15, depending on the word, raised from the dead, resurrected, uh, 15 to 20 different places that the resurrection of Christ, Jesus being raised from the dead, is mentioned all throughout the book of Acts. Paul was consistent with this message that without uh, the gospel is empty without an empty tomb. It is a non-negotiable. It is an essential, the resurrection of Christ. Look with me at verse 22 through 23. To this day, Paul said, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Now, I'm not going to highlight this, but that's really a great, interesting phrase of what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, everything I embrace, everything I'm talking about is consistent with what the prophets and Moses taught. You know what to us that is? That would be like saying everything from Genesis to Malachi, it's consistent because it consistently pointed forward to the coming of this Messiah. Not just any, this Messiah, Jesus. So Paul is saying, you want to make accusations? You want to talk theology? You want to talk heresy? Well, everything that I'm saying is consistent with what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That's, remember, we talked about the authority of Scripture. Paul is standing on the authority of the Word of God. These aren't his ideas. He had some hallucinations and dreams. He's saying everything I teach and I preach is consistent with the Word of God up to that revelation that they had of the Old Testament. Verse 23, what was it that was consistent? That the Christ, the Messiah must suffer, and by being, what, the first to arise 
from the dead. Paul talked about the resurrection. You see, this isn't a self-help model that we're into. Uh, This isn't just another way to have some power of positive thinking. This is something that differentiates the message from anything else, from any other religious group, from any other idea in history, is that our hope and faith is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ raised from the dead. That is essential for the Christian. And and you see, it was essential even to the early church. And that's what created such havoc. Because there was a lot of people going around pushing various religions. That wasn't anything new. But a man raised from the dead? And Paul was consistent in bringing up the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if I had this, but I think I might have uh, just a chapter over in Acts 25, 19. It's interesting with when Festus was telling Agrippa about this Paul. Uh, he said, uh, talking about his fellow Jews, how they have some disagreements with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, a dead man Paul claimed to be alive. I mean, he's just kind of saying it in passing like, <clears throat> this guy's a really, he's a piece of work. I mean, he's going around talking about this guy, Jesus, who he says, can you believe this? This Jesus was raised from the dead. I mean, he's acknowledging that Paul's just, this is part of Paul's life and message. When you think about the resurrection, and I know I've mentioned these things before, but what, what explanation other than the resurrection of Jesus explains the fact that all of Jesus' close friends, we call them disciples, they later became apostles, but all of those close in that inner circle, take Judas out of the mix, but all that inner circle that witnessed or claimed to witness, that they all faced a torturous death as martyrs. And yet they all went to their graves, never, ever recanting that this is all a big hoax. They never said fake news one time. You see, some people will die for things that they think are true, but it goes against human nature for people to die for things that they know are not true. How do you explain that? How do you explain the fact that the Bible is a record of recording and says that over 500 people witnessed the resurrection the resurrected Jesus, at one time. It's not a mass hallucination. They all were witnesses to it. John the Apostle began his letter in 1 John by, say, by saying, in paraphrase, that what I'm writing to you, I'm writing to you what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've handled with our hands. We are eyewitnesses to the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. Paul in his gospel presentation there in Athens, you'll remember this, Acts 17, 31. And it's interesting, after he said this, they all kind of went crazy. He said, because he, God, has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed, he has provided proof. What proof? He's provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. 
don't neglect the resurrection of Jesus in your gospel conversation. Be respectful, review, reflect, talk about the resurrection, but also the word reliance. Verse 22, see reliance. Paul said in verse 22 of Acts 26, To this day I have had the help that comes from God. Number one fear of people talking about Christ, sharing their faith, is fear. Fear. Fear of witnessing. And sometimes that fear is because, well, I don't know a lot. Or I'm afraid I'll be asked a question that I won't be able to answer or whatever. Fear of rejection. And yes, that that, that will occur. But we should be reminded, like what Paul said in verse 22, is that his reliance was that he had help that comes from God. A reliance upon Christ. It It is not so much how much we know, but are we available to God today to tell somebody about Jesus? May not know a lot of stuff, and I thought of that blind man when he was... Back in John 9, when he's being drilled about wanting to recant, about being healed by Jesus. And finally, he just said, look, I don't know what you guys are up to, but all I know is this. I was once blind, and now I see. Right? You guys go figure it out. Seventh is the word response. The gospel is not neutral. It has to be received, but it also needs a response. The gospel demands a response. Look at verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, that Roman governor, said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. Notice how he's still respectful. I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king, Agrippa, knows, he's Jewish, he knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. I love that phrase. This work of the gospel, the advance of the kingdom, it's not been done off in some private little cult sect. It's not been done in a corner. It's been done out in the open publicly. He says, verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, you would persuade me to be a Christian. Kind of reminds me of Felix. That once the Holy Spirit was bearing down on that man's soul, he said, okay, all right, I've heard enough. Agrippa had his moment of opportunity for the apostle of Paul himself. And he almost, almost became a believer. Number eight is the word rejection. Festus called Paul insane. Don't be shocked if somebody thinks you're nuts because you're a Christian. You're one of those Jesus freaks 
You're crazy. But remember this, you and I cannot save anybody. We can't save anybody. We are just Holy Spirit delivery folks. We are just Holy Spirit mail carriers. See, I notice how politically correct I was by not saying male men, right? Male carriers, right? We are just delivering the message. We need to be faithful in delivering the mail, delivering the message. 1 Peter 3, 14 and 16 talks about being rejected. And of course, Jesus said, don't be shocked when people persecute you. They persecuted me, so expect it to come. But Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 14 and 16, he said, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, notice he says suffering for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they what, uh, or do not fear what they, what they fear and be intimidated. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready, look at this, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. <coughs> Yet do it with gentleness and respect. The part verse we read earlier. Be respectful be willing to review your, your life before Christ. Always reflect upon Jesus. Talk about this resurrection, that he, Jesus rose from the dead. Keep your reliance upon the strength of God. Don't be afraid to ask for a response. Know that there's rejection. And number nine, remember. Remember what? Verse 29, Paul replied, and I have the NIV, I think, on the screen, Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, <laughs> except for these change, chains. What do we need to remember? We need to remember to pray. To pray. What did Jesus say? Pray to the Lord of the harvest, right? To pray. Paul said, I pray to God. He, we pray to God and ask God to change the hearts of those hearers that we have these gospel conversations with. But also we need to remember to pray for ourselves that we maintain a compassionate, tender heart for those who have yet to come to saving faith in Christ. You see, people are not your project. I'm going to say that again. For the people on the south side of Lakeland. People are not your project. I'm going to say it for the Kathleen folks. People are not your project. You see what I'm they, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, churches have unfortunately tripped up in sharing the gospel of evangelism as really a guise of growing the church. Now, God grows the church. He does that sovereignly, but he grows his kingdom, okay? So if you share the gospel, I hope that you would say, come to Grace Church, okay? But guess what? If God leads them to another Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, 
resurrected, preaching church. I'm all right with that. It's okay. This is, this is his program, right? You're just delivering the mail. Let him work it out. Because the Holy Spirit distributes to his church gifts where they are needed. And gifts come with people. They come in flesh and blood. So we remember what we see Paul saying here in the way the NIV says, that I pray to God, I wish to God. Paul's prayerful desires is that everyone listening would come to know Jesus. Here is a man in chains. Think about it. Here's a man in chains who's really the most free man in that place. And he's saying, my prayer, my desire is that you'd be loosed out of your chains, the spiritual chains of sin and darkness. And I said there were ten, and the tenth one really doesn't have a verse, but the tenth is just the word repeat. Do it all over again. You shared Jesus, do it again. And do it again. And keep doing it. Keep being faithful. Repeat. Don't stop at one time. Keep talking about Christ. How many times do we see Paul in Acts telling people about Christ? Sharing his testimony, going into synagogues, going into the temple, talking about the Messiah, going into the marketplace with the Gentiles, going to where they're meeting in the in Athens, at, the, at Mars Hill, the Oropagus, uh, the threat of jail, the threat of death. But what does he do? He keeps at it. He keeps doing it. That's why they want to kill him, because he keeps going forward. And he sees opportunities. When he's in jail and chains, he sees even those as opportunities that God in his sovereignty has orchestrated so he can preach the gospel to people he would never have access to unless he was a prisoner. Just keep doing it. I heard a story I thought was about a guy who applied for a job as an usher at a theater in the mall. And as part of the interview process, the manager asked him, what would you do in case of a fire breaks out? And he thought for a moment, and he says, don't worry about me. I'll be fine. It's not the right answer for the usher. But that's unfortunately how many Christians respond to a lost and dying world around them. If you ask Christians, do you have the assurance of Jesus came back personally for you, or he came back, his second coming, how you would be? And we'd say, don't worry about me, I'll be fine. J.C. Ryle, one of the old writers I love, said the ultimate act of selfishness for a Christian is to be content to go to heaven all by themselves. We are ushers, and what do ushers for Jesus do is we tell people how to get out and away from the fire. Right? Pointing people to the way out. 
telling people about Christ.